Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the One Hood Power Hour. I am your host, Miracle Jones. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in and joining with us this evening. We know it's been a a great, great um, weekend here in the city of Pittsburgh. A lot of things have been happening. Um, We had the Kenny Chesney concert. We had Goody Mob here over the weekend. We had, you know, a lot of events for Wear Orange, Raising Gun Violence. You had the March for Our Lives rally on Saturday as well. And so it has been a very, very, very busy weekend. Um, On top of that, it started to be budget season this week in Pennsylvania. And so to talk about all the things that's happening in Pennsylvania, um, give us a current events of the day. Please welcome our political director, Kari Mosley. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. And speaking of the weekend, you were at the Goody Mob concert. You were out there. How does it being out and about in the city and seeing a lot of the work that people have been to make it more diverse, to have economics come back in the city. How was the weekend? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was, that was a really, uh, you know, awesome event for the three rivers arts festival, you know, um, you know, shout out to, um, you know, everybody involved, you know, the folks, you know, Janice Burley and the folks at the August Wilson center, you know, shout out to the union crew. You know, many of you know that, uh, that one third of the union crew is, is, is one half of uh, Selecta and K Most. That's Selecta. And, um, you know, uh, the Honorable uh, Mayor Ed Ganey gave a proclamation to Black Steel, DJ Big Phil, and Selecta, you know, for all the amazing work they've done as the union. Um, you know, that, that affiliation of DJs um, and all the great work that they've done, you know, over the many years. So, you know, big shots out to them, you know, and, um, you know, Ed Ganey was on stage, you know, with the Goody Mob, not rapping, but, you know, just being, um, you know, that just that, that very involved, you know, very grassroots, you know, very engaged mayor that he's been, you know, you know, over this past six months. So it was like awesome, you know, to be at an event, you know, with a legendary group like the Goody Mob, you know, representing the ATL, you know, they brought, you know, that Dirty South vibe, you know, up north. And, um, you know, it was mad fans, you know, it was, you know, definitely a huge, huge crowd, um, you know, and, and, and it was definitely a lot of Goody Mob fans, you know, a, you know, a lot of people saying the words to all the songs, you know, people was, you know, really hyped that, you know, CeeLo came. Because I know at different shows sometimes, like, CeeLo isn't there because he has a lot of other stuff going on. But, you know, they had the whole crew, man. They had the whole Goody Mob crew, Big Gip, Cujo, you know, and, you know, and the whole, you know, family, you know, representing the Dungeon family, you know, just that legendary collective out of Atlanta that really, you know, put Atlanta hip hop on the map in a whole different way, you know, so... It was just dope, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and just to see all those people, you know, obviously after everything we've been through these past couple of years, to see people out, you know, enjoying themselves, you know, definitely the city has definitely transformed, um, you know, definitely a lot of new establishments, you know, um, you know, was able to, you know, me and my wife and my good friend Image sat down, you know, had a bite, you know, after the performance, ran into Bernard Alexander, you know, at a at a place down there on Penn Avenue, and um, you know, you could definitely see it's a different vibe, you know. And there's definitely a concerted effort, you know, to bring you know different kind of programming. So from a social point of view, you know, you can really see where you know politics and culture, you know, intertwines. You know, the fact that you know Mayor Ganey was at that event on stage giving out a proclamation, you know, the three legendary DJs, you know, with you know, one of uh, the most legendary Southern hip hop groups, you know, on the stage, you know, and I couldn't imagine, you know, back in the day, like some, a group like the Goody Mob, you know, performing, you know, at something like the Three Rivers Arts Festival, which is considered kind of a mainstream, you know, event, but it's just showing you how, you know, culturally, you know, we transform, you know, as a society, as, as you know, as a country, and even is happening at the regional level, you know, we're seeing it in, in the politics as well you know, as in the cultural offerings, you know, for the people, you know, here. So, you know, hopefully it's just a sign, you know, of things to come. And, you know, again, like kudos, you know, to everybody involved, you know, particularly, 
you know, my homies from the Union Crew, Black Steel, my brother DJ Big Phil, and of course, you know, my partner, um, you know, DJ Selecta, who wasn't able to be there, but, you know, obviously is, is still, you know, part of that legendary team. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was awesome. And, you know, hopefully it's a, a preview to, you know, a really, really great summer, you know, because it definitely has been some challenging things that have been happening, not only over the past couple of years, but even more recent times and still like a lot of violence, um, you know, going on in the city. So hopefully this could be, you know, um, you know, something that, that really livens things up for the summer and, and, and hopefully we can have a good summer in the city and have as much peace as possible, um, you know, and, um, and, and continue to bring people together. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned you know, what's going on with the, the, the wave of violence. Uh, a thing that happened today was a couple of people, um, actually a couple of Republicans in the legislature actually introduced um, articles of impeachment against the district attorney in in um, Philadelphia, arguing that a part of this quote unquote wave of violence that we've seen all across the country um, is due to some of their uh, changes within in the district attorney's office, despite the fact that they are actually adequately and aggressively um, pressing charges against people uh, accused of using guns, having guns, and possessing guns. So it's an ongoing conversation, but there's does res um, respond directly to the idea that um, people are trying to come together to hold. Uh, community to actually um, engage in anti-violence work in different ways and moving on from violence. We also saw a continuing continuing on of the January 6th commission. Um, and there's been a lot of conversation about the amount of times that Pennsylvania and Pennsylvanians have been mentioned, um, especially because of all of the people who are not only um, at the Capitol, but because we still have um, the fallout from Act 77 with another sham audit, with other investigations and things happening. Um, and, and so as this continues on, do you think that this is going to like impact our local elections as we're trying to begin finally to move towards November? Yeah, one local thing I, I did want to bring up um, was that, uh, you know, there's an effort to change the leadership at the Allegheny County Democratic Committee. And, you know, we saw that um, current chair Eileen Kelly um, has made the decision to not run uh, for another term as chair of the Allegheny County Democratic Committee, um, which I think is going to open it up um, for um, Sam Hens Greco, who is currently uh, the chair of the 14th Ward Democratic Committee um, in the city, in the eastern part of the city of Pittsburgh, and, uh, Mor uh, and, um, and uh, Morgan Overton. Um, um, who is going to be um, running as vice chair? Uh, and the way that uh, that the, the, these party organizations work at the local level is um, whether it's the ward level or the municipal level or the county level. There's always a, a chair and a vice chair, and you know, his, and historically, the way the rules have been, um, if you have a female chair, the vice chair has to be male. You can't have two of the same gender. Um, you can't have a vice chair, chair woman, or, you know, vice versa. So, um, you know, so Morgan Overton is, is running as um, the vice chair and Sam Hens Greco, um, longtime uh, committee person, longtime ward chair in the 14th Ward, ran for city council um, back in, I believe, uh, 20, I want to say it was 2013. Um, and I fell short to, uh, to, to then councilman, uh, Dan Gilman, um, you know, who then went on to the mayor's office, you know, and now works at Duquesne university. Um, but it, it was going to be very interesting to see if anyone else decides to jump in, but, um, Sam and, you know, Sam Hans Greco and Morgan Overton have definitely, um, you know, got out in front of everybody else. So I, I believe the uh, election will be sometime next month. Um, once the committee's reorganized, you know, a lot of people ran for committee, um, you know, Bethany Hallam and other folks were very instrumental in getting folks to run for committee. Uh, if they didn't get on the ballot, you know, folks ran as write-ins. Um, and, you know, so they're really trying to reshape, 
you know, the Allegheny County Democratic Party, you know, which definitely for a long time, you know, has been, you know, closely aligned, you know, with the traditional political establishment, you know, at a local level and, you know, you know, but in these past few elections, the endorsement of the Allegheny County Democratic Committee has not, you know, bore the same fruit, you know, um, you know, as in the past, you know, being endorsed by the the county party, you know, hasn't ensured victory. And in many cases, just like this past election, this plat this past primary election, you know, we did see that uh, numerous candidates who received the endorsement of the party did not win uh, on primary day. So that's going to be another. Uh, local uh, political development we'll be watching here on the Power Hour, how everything plays out, you know, with the Allegheny County Democratic Committee and if the reformers um, do take those seats um, in leadership and begin their efforts, as they say, to kind of reinvent the Allegheny County Democratic Party. Yeah, so like a lot of changes are happening. Uh, people, you know, think that the elections over stuff is going to slow down, but it it gets busier. And one of the things that makes it so busy is right now we are in budget season, both locally at the city of Pittsburgh level and at the Commonwealth level. Um, For those of you who are not aware, the budget is basically the fiscal document that guides and maintains any type of spending that a government entity does. It's done traditionally here in Pennsylvania a year in advance, and it can last not only for one year, but actually two years. And it really earmarks financial expenditures so that if you want to, say, have money for paving the streets, fixing potholes, or adding new lights, speed bumps, um, fixing, giving money to invest in landlords, they can fix housing, giving money for um, housing grants. If you want you know, people to come out and pick up your trash, your sewer and water, salt your roads, um, have food at an office event. If you want um, the city to come out and host events, all of that has to be earmarked with funding. And that goes towards a budget. You know, a lot of us have been organizing around investing in communities, expanding a lot of community resources, and that comes within the budget. And this is an ongoing thing. So earlier today, the University of Pittsburgh sent out a mass email talking about funding could be cut to schools. There's an ongoing conversation about not only cutting funding to colleges and universities, but also cutting some public school funding. There's also um, arguments to cut funding to some libraries. So you really, really must be paying attention to this budget hearings, talking to your your, um, local legislators, particularly um, those in the House and in the Senate locally, um, because everyone has to approve these budgets. And people are wanting um, budgets that reflect the will of the people, and people help people say a budget is a moral document, and so on and so forth. And we'll get a little more into budgets with our second guest, Nick Presley, from the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center. Um, But before we get to our guest, it's going to remind folks, as always, it's very important that you're registered to vote if you are going to be 18 by um, the November uh, election, you are eligible to vote now. Um, so if you're like 17 and three quarters, you can go ahead um, and register to vote. Um, we want to make sure that you are a resident of Pennsylvania for at least 30 days. You are going to be 18 by the time the election occurs. That you have not been convicted of an election-related crime in the past uh, four years. Um, and that you are someone who is not serving a, a sentence of incarceration. And you are a citizen and you are registered. Then you are eligible to register to vote. It's very important. Your vote is one tool of your uh, power kit that you can use to create conditions for your your friends and your family um, to have health, safe, um, happy lives through policy and people you are electing. And talking about safe, healthy, happy lives, our first guest is going to be from the Food and Water Watch organization, um, which is a nonprofit that really is like looking at different things in the environment because they are um, supporting this bill, um, 
2-22, which is a bill to protect the parks, which would essentially ban fracking in parks. We know that there's an ongoing conversation, not only about uh, climate disruption and severe climate crises, but also um, a conversation about fracking and what that's going to do, not only to the environment, but to um, our quality of life. And and as we're looking at coming out on the other side of COVID-19, we want to be making sure that the policies that put in place really reflect what's going on. And so we want to welcome our first guest to the program from the Food and Water Watch, um, Senior Organizer Robin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. We're thank we're thankful for you to join us. You know, it's been a busy weekend. You've been pushing yeah. this bill. <laughs> you, had, you had a convening of environmental organizations over the weekend in Harrisburg. But for our viewers, can you just talk a little bit about um, the bill that you're pushing and why you're pushing this Protect the Parks initiative? Absolutely. So uh, directly from the bill, it's going to prohibit the leasing or sale or any other agreements that would um, basically permit uh, or facilitate any kind of industrial or commercial land use in the parks. Um, a big reason why this has come up is back in 2014, uh, Deer Lakes Park was leased for fracking. Um, well, it started production in 2016. And uh, this was really hard because the uh, county parks have always been um, a source of solace and refuge and they've always been um, protected from this normally fracking is a type of an of activity that um, happens um, very far away from people uh, residential areas where there's a lot of high human activity we would like it to be near no living activity but we are where we are um, so basically this means it's going to um, prohibit any surface activity like the actual well pads though it actually prohibit um, drilling underneath as well underneath the parks. And uh, this is really important because it really does affect the health, welfare, and safety of our community members. And it doesn't uh, prevent any um, agreements that have happened ahead of time. So um, unfortunately, Deer Lakes Park is still going to continue the operations, but we can, we can protect the remaining county parks. Thank you uh, so much for, for joining us. Thank you, um, and thank you for, the, for the work that, that you're doing. Um, you know, what do you say, you know, when you get pushed back, um, you know, and it seems like like some of the fanfare has died down over the past several years. But, I, you know, I do remember maybe uh, 10 years ago, um, you know, when hydraulic fracturing, you know, really became a newer technology. You know, there was a lot of enthusiasm. You know, I'm not saying everywhere, but in, in many circles. Um, you know, locally and around the state that this was going to be, you know, uh, economic, you know, boom, you know, and I, and I think still, um, you know, in some circles, folks feel that way, so, you know, so what is your response to, to that? Absolutely. You know, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. There was, um, it was touted as this bridge fuel to renewables, even major environmental organizations, I won't name them because they're allies, um, they were touting it. But then as the research came in that it was actually a dirtier more polluting fuel than even coal or anything like that. We all quickly retracted our statements, you know, and, and I'm proud of that. It's it takes a lot more um, maturity and, and power to realize to say we were wrong. And now that we have the new information, we're going to go and promote health and safety. Um, it's interesting because it says that it'll promote jobs, that it's going to promote energy independence, and that um, it's going to bring fuel costs down for people to heat their homes, you know, cook their food. And if anything, um, as production has gone up, also costs have gone up. Um, pollution has gone up. Um, it has now been with fracking, it has now become more of an export for the U.S. And so... Um, we're having the land ripped up only for it to go overseas. And that is not to say anything about our uh, European brothers or sisters or anything like that, but it's just the rhetoric to show, to say that this is gonna make us independent and help us lower costs overall has shown the complete and exact opposite. And it has not increased jobs at all at home. So it's, we're dealing with a lot of uh, contradictions here, if not straight up lies. And talk about some of the contradictions. What has been um, the response you have received since the presser um, and since the hearing? Because 
Do you have the votes right now to pass the bill? Um, where is everything falling? So we are um, we are one vote short of it passing, but we are looking to have, um, so we need eight votes to pass it, but we are looking to have 10 votes to make it veto proof by our Allegheny County Executive, Rich Fitzgerald, who um, even though he uh, talks a good game, of uh, saying that we want green renewable energy. He has been, he vetoed the moratorium on fracking in the parks back in 2014. And now he has, I believe the quote is, he has emphatically stated that there is no push to drill in any of the county parks, but we don't, there shouldn't be a bill that should uh, bind any future um, elected officials or administrations in making that decision that they should make it on a case by case basis. Um, and honestly, that that is a, a contradiction as well, or that's kind of misleading because any sort of ordinance or bill can be changed or can be overturned by any administration that comes in uh, afterwards. And uh, but the rest of it, there has been overwhelming support. Uh, people that we thought would, you know, that are even uh, very pro industry, and um, I would even say pro fracking. They said, yeah, these are places that we shouldn't touch, even. Um, Rex Tillerson of Exxon Energy back in 2014 said, we shouldn't have this sort of activity near homes or schools or anything like this. This is a heavy industrial process, not somewhere where people, where it's close to people. But it's overwhelmingly been positive. And um, I, think, I think we have a good chance here. And it really shows uh, who wants to stand up for the future, especially for kids. I can talk about later if there's any interest about the health effects of fracking. And that's the reason why there's such a big push for us to also put get this bill passed as well. Yeah, Robin, if you could, um, you know, talk a, a little bit, you know, you know, like I said, over the last decade, much of the conversation um, about fracking, you know, has focused around, as you said, energy independence, um, you know, economics, you know, job, economic development, you know, job creation. Um, but could you just talk a little bit about you know, um, you know, just give us a, just a bit of a sense of, you know, what is it like, um, you know, to be, you know, within a vicinity, you know, of, of one of these, you know, wells and what are, you know, some of the potential uh, hazards of, of, of living or being or, you know, existing, you know, in close proximity to one of these sites? Absolutely. So to start off, um, there's often a misconception that um, fracking is like typical oil and gas drilling. Um, they use the terms typically conventional oil and gas versus unconventional. Fracking is the unconventional. Conventional is just like, um, uh, really, it's like sticking a straw in the ground to extract the gas. Um, you know, it, it has its risks too, but um, it's less invasive. But fracking, that's short for hydraulic fracturing is this massive operation that requires um, at least five acres of land um, and you are pushing um, millions of gallons of water and sand and other chemicals to go through the ground and it will shatter uh, the Marcella shale. That is what that's part of the, uh, the fracturing of the shale. And once that happens, uh, um, once that shale has fractured, that loosens up all the gas and then it's brought back up. So a lot of things can happen with that. Um, when it's brought back up, there can be leakage into the water table, which so there's water contamination of private and or public water sources. Um, a lot of things that are brought back up with this. Um, some of those uh, chemicals that are used like benzene and toluene, they are known carcinogens. They're known to cause cancer. Um, and sometimes drilling companies don't even have to tell people what are in their, uh, their mixes because it's considered proprietary knowledge. Um, and so on top of that, we, everything that's brought up on top of those chemicals, um, it's other things that can be brought up that are meant to stay deep in the ground, such as uranium. You might have heard a couple of years back talking about um, the cancer cluster crisis with Ewing sarcoma. Um, and these children that are having this extremely rare cancer are popping up in clusters, um, all around the county surrounding Allegheny County where there's high fracking activity. And we think that that is from when the gas is returned, um, the flowback has returned from these operations. It's also bringing up radioactive materials. To live close to one of these, uh, Pennsylvania has a minimum setback meaning of 500 feet, meaning 
the the law the state only requires that you're 500 feet away from this massive operation the noise uh the, the smells or more importantly the things you can't smell like methane um, methane is a is a greenhouse gas that is 86 times more invasive and harmful to the environment than carbon dioxide. Um, and this can cause a myriad of health problems and it can worsen asthma, um, can cause certain cancers, things like that. And the stress alone of living near one of these operations with increased truck traffic, um, people coming from out of town, there have been, there is always a link between these sorts of operations and increased crime. Um, and it really can affect like the, the, you know, the character of your community, like, you know, um, and then it just also can all the, uh, resources that are used an enormous amount of water, especially in areas that, um, might be having water shortages now. And what's really scary is that it can cause fracking increases seismic activity. It actually causes human induced earthquakes. Uh, the state of Oklahoma, for example, you wouldn't think would be anywhere with an earthquake. Now it's one of the most seismic states in the United States, like compared to California and everywhere else where we're saying, oh, yeah, well, it's St. Andreas fault line. We expect earthquakes and things like that, but not in Oklahoma or things like that, too. Um, and just in addition to cancer, it also causes reproductive problems, blood related disorders in children with the water contamination. Um, causes a lot of premature birth. And it also affects communities that have already um, suffered at the hands of other industries. So it's always it's a process that really, um, it looks good on paper. Some people have really um, profited from it. Um, some people have saved their farms from it. And some people haven't had the health effects, but there are too many connections that have shown that um, there's no safe way to frack and, and to prevent uh, human harm or all life harm. Perfect. And, and, and would you talk, oh, go ahead, Michael. No, good, go ahead. Now, but just, just on that point, you know, particularly to uh, focus in on Washington County, um, you know, we and we have some, you know, articles where we were dropping into the chat over the past couple of years, um, you know, and, and so from what I understand, you know, particularly the Ewing sarcoma is extremely rare. So for uh, the number of people in a county the size of Washington, you know, how how rare um, is that? You know, uh... it's incredibly rare. Um, I, I I'm sorry that I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but uh, I, I there should only maybe be one case in the whole Northeast region. But the fact that we are having dozens of cases and that the correlate in it's just it's right near some of the heaviest uh, fracking activity. And even if we say like, well, the the actual, like the chemicals in the, in, in the fracking operations and everything like that may have not caused that, um, although there's a pretty strong evidence indicating that, like we talked about earlier, um, the whole process of fracking with the flow back, that's bringing up like, your, that's bringing up uranium and other naturally occurring radioactive substances that are deep in the earth that stay deep in the earth for a reason. Um, and our children shouldn't have to suffer over industrial processes that don't even have to reveal all of their um, chemical makeup. I know you said you're at, you know, the nine point uh, for, you know, the, the votes. The vote is on Wednesday still, correct? Or is it being pushed back? Um, and then how can people get involved to submit comment um, to, uh, to, to advocate for this passage? Absolutely. So the vote may not happen until uh, August. Um, there may be another committee meeting um, with uh, Council Member Anita Prezio's committee with the Agreeing and Sustainability Initiatives. Uh, the number one thing people can do is contact their council member. Um, I'd be happy to send a link to show um, your district and who your council member is saying that you support this bill. Um, there also is a petition that I'd be happy to, I can drop into the chat. Right now, I'm sorry I didn't have it earlier for us. Um, or they can also contact me and I can let them know of some of the future actions that are going to be happening, some of the canvassing that we're going to be doing and some of the personal meetings with uh, council members that are on the fence and maybe need more information to better inform their decision. And 
Um, and, and, and if you can elaborate, you know, who would be some of the key, you know, members of council um, that, that, that folks should be reaching out to right now, particularly if, obviously if they live in those areas would be even more so, you know, that, that call or that text or that tweet would carry more weight. I'd be pleased to. So uh, in district two is Su Suzanne Filiagi. Uh, she recently uh, replaced Cindy Kirk as Cindy Kirk is making her run for Senate. Also uh, district five, Tom Dewar. So um, it would be really nice to uh, to press for him. Um, also for um, for John Palmieri, who originally ha uh, he heads up the the Parks and Recreation Committee. So uh, even though he didn't allow this bill to uh, pass last year when we made a run for it, um, he made a um, he did vote to take it out of his committee and actually give it a, a fair chance and a, and a fair hearing. So. Um, might have to appeal to his soft spot a little bit and that would give us the 10. Okay. And then have, and the reason you're pushing for 10, because with the recent comments, you believe that if, when the bill, if, and when this bill passes, because you at least have over eight votes, that it's going to be vetoed, correct? Absolutely. Um, Rich Fitzgerald's response to the uh, rally in the public hearing, he is making it quite clear that he is going to veto this bill if approved. And so that's why we need the 10 to show that this is what the people wants and that we should be catering to the people's needs and what the people want their community to look like, uh, not what somebody thinks is best for industry. And then as we wrap, can you just talk a little bit, because I know you're talking about fracking, but pollution is is a huge issue here in this region. You know, you just had a lot of people talking about a lot of uh, breathe spots going up and alerts over the weekend. Um, can you just talk about why having this additional fracking, you know, because some stuff is already approved, um, but why having this additional fracking is such an issue, particularly for this region? particularly for this region, especially um, down in the Mon Valley, um, but all around really, we're in an area, you know, Allegheny County has some of the worst uh, air quality in the entire country. And I say that as a lifelong Allegheny County resident. Um, and fracking has been shown that it only increases our air pollution. And we already have such a high, high rates of asthma, uh, emphysema, COPD, and other related uh, disorders. And, you know, let's not ignore COVID, COVID definitely has, um, if you contract COVID, it can have um, long-term or even permanent effects on your pulmonary system and, and, and breathing. And so fracking already lowers your, if you're around those sorts of chemicals or those gases that lowers your immunity and it makes it even harder for recovery or to, um, to, to strengthen your immune system. Um, you know, with COVID, a lot of the uh, areas of the world, the, the environment had improved because of the reduced activity. Um, air pollution had gone down um, and there was a reduction in water pollution. But here in Pennsylvania, it was a different story. Um, drillers in Pennsylvania actually produced the highest volume of natural gas on record for a single year in 2020. And that was during the time where there was the least supervision and the least regulation because of the pandemic. People weren't out allowed to come out as much and um, inspect the sites or to see if the spills or things like that. So if anything, we need to be reducing industrial activity that's known to increase the air pollution and create additional health hazards uh, for our communities surrounding Allegheny County and the Pittsburgh area. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Robin, thank for talking. You. you know, it's time today to talk about what we can do to keep our, you know, our water safe and protect our parks. Wishing you all the best of luck in your campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. And so, like we said, there's a lot of stuff happening right now, but one of the things that is also happening that impacts the environment is the amount of money that we have to actually uh, protect parks, invest in infrastructure, um, invest in alternative forms of you know, energy, um, hiring, and that is the budget. And right now in Pennsylvania, we are in the midst of you know, budget negotiations, one of the most fascinating and interesting times if you are, you know, someone who likes politics or is interested in the process of, you know, politics and um, tomorrow, there's actually going to be a rally. We are one uh, at Transparency, one who power is one people who are supporting 
um, this rally, a rally for the people's budget, and to talk a little bit about a budget, the overall process, some of the things you're advocating for in Pennsylvania, please welcome Nicholas Presley from the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. From the wonderful world of Harrisburg, thank you, you know, for joining us. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's happening tomorrow with the rally and why we want people to come out and support? Absolutely. So, at, uh, it, like you mentioned, I think earlier in the show, a budget is a moral document, uh, and we have realized that for over the last ten years, over a decade, Pennsylvanians had a policy of what we call austerity. We Feel like we don't have enough money so we don't spend a lot of money in our budget on services that people need now before the pandemic hit pennsylvania already had some of the largest gaps between the rich and the poor in the nation but since the pandemic this gap is only widened more as working pennsylvanians and small businesses are struggling economically especially most recently with the rise in prices what people don't know is that pennsylvania actually spends less than most other states do to improve the lives of our people Compared to other states, we spend less money on K through 12 education. We spend less money on higher education per capita. We spend less money on childcare, housing, healthcare, public health, environmental protection. And meanwhile, you know, wages have stayed low. Pennsylvania still has a minimum wage of 725 an hour. Uh, and while, while all the areas around us, all the states around us have raised a minimum wage at least once in the last decade, uh, our rents are increasing, and as we all know, price of gas is redonkulous at this point in time. And we've got school buildings that are filled with lead pipes. And so what we're doing tomorrow is congregating on the Capitol steps. We're inviting anyone who's in the area to join us to demand what we call a people's budget. We want a budget that will spend what is a once-in-a-generation budget surplus in Pennsylvania on the things Pennsylvanians yeah, thanks so much for um, you know, for for that breakdown and 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 you know, and when you talk about you know a budget, you know, being a moral document, can you elaborate on that? You know, because I think a lot of times, you know, you know, as people, their minds just shut off. We start talking about budgeting and and the kind of arcane blocking and tackling that's part of governing. You know, they always say politics is poetry and government is prose, and I definitely would think. Budget negotiation and budget hearings fall in that pros category, but could you, you know, breathe some life um, into, you know, that process and why, you know, you you say so strongly that, um, you know, the budgets aren't just, you know, a spreadsheet, you know, they're like, they're truly, you know, a moral document. I mean, look, we've all, we've got great ideas on how to fix Pennsylvania. These ideas are coming from all quarters. Everyone's got thoughts on what we need to do in order to you know, make the lives of Pennsylvanians better. But none of those ideas, none of those programs, none of that matters if there's no money. Pennsylvania has a budget process that's, that's really just derived by, or it's, it's decided based on the programs. We, we don't necessarily fund uh, parts of the government. We fund programs that the government runs, and that's the way it's supposed to work in theory. But you can have the best ideas, and if there's no money to actually run the program, then there's no way to actually get that program off the ground and, and helping people in the Pennsylvania. I think a really good example of uh, some of the areas in which we see that is mental health care in Pennsylvania um, and, and also our public defender's office. I just had a conversation with a representative earlier today uh, who was talking about the fact that we do not fund our public defender's offices in Pennsylvania. And so it's a great idea in theory to provide everyone with uh, defense, especially if it's someone who you know, can't afford to afford their, to pay for their own lawyer. But if we're not funding uh, these things, then, then there's no money for anyone to be able to access these resources. And so when we say the budget is a moral document, look, I get it. When I start talking about the budget and I say things like structural deficits and I use language like clawback provisions and blah, 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 people's eyes start to glaze over, they start to fall asleep. But the fact is where you put your energy, where you put your money is where you put your priorities. And if our priorities are on cutting corporate taxes, which is what we're hearing, uh, some of the folks talking about are we're cutting taxes for for the rich and wealthy in Pennsylvania and not on fully funding our most some of our worst in the nation school funding. And uh, then, then we then we're saying that we are prioritizing and our morality points us to cutting taxes for corporations and providing them tax breaks rather than educating our children, providing for the next generation. And you're talking a little bit about, you know, the 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 numbers, but when 
we're talking about a budget. We're in a very rare opportunity because Pennsylvania has this surplus. You know, we had the COVID-19 um, expenditures, also money from the infrastructure bill. And can you talk a little bit about like how much money is out there and why it's so important, especially if you can relate it to this ongoing conversation about violence, why it's so important as to you a fraction of this 15 plus billion dollars to invest in our community. And there's the number, $15 billion, y'all. $15 billion. That's Note that B there. That is a billion. I, I like to say Bezos billions. If you hear me do any public speaking, I'll often reference that just to kind of give people an idea that we're not talking about a couple million dollars. We're talking about a vast amount, much larger than that. The last time Pennsylvania had a budget surplus was before I was born, uh, and it was just in the $1 or $2 billion. We have $15 billion of a surplus in our budget. The money's already there. It's going to be spent. What are we going to spend it on? Uh, we are suggesting that we spend just a fraction of that, $2 billion, to address some of the issues in Pennsylvania. And Miracle, you, you're, you hit the nail right on the head. When we talk about some of the violence that we see in our streets and places like Southwest Pennsylvania or Allegheny or Philadelphia, or talk about some of the places that are less talked about, like Reading or, or even Altoona, Pennsylvania, where I, which is close to where I live, uh, we talk about people who are struggling to deal with the trauma that's related to poverty. We're talking about people who are struggling to find ends meet. And as I had a conversation with someone just the other day, sometimes when you have no good choices, the only choices you can make are bad ones, right? The goal, uh, uh, I think the purpose of government and some of the things we can do with this government or with this budget uh, surplus this year is provide people with options and opportunities to make good choices instead of bad choices. We can put this money to work on our streets all across the Commonwealth uh, in order to help address this epidemic of violence we're seeing. Again, I mentioned schools repeatedly, but housing is a huge issue in Pennsylvania. People are, are uh, unable to afford rent in all kinds of places across the Commonwealth. And I think a point that's really important to make uh, is that the issues that face, you know, we often hear, oh, that's just a Philadelphia problem or oh, that's just a Pittsburgh problem, you know. But I'll say this again. I'm from Center County, Pennsylvania. I went to high school in Blair County, Pennsylvania. The neighbors to me are Mifflin County, Huntington County, uh, Clearfield County. These are not rich areas of Pennsylvania. A lot of the issues we see in our cities in Pennsylvania are we're also grappling with in the rural areas and suburban areas of Pennsylvania of the Commonwealth. We have to realize that these are issues that affect a broad swath, in fact, most Pennsylvanians in the Commonwealth, and that we have the ability to address that now. So what are we gonna do with this? We want them to refuse to, uh, to, to cut corporate taxes. We want to reduce economic and racial inequity in our schools. We want to use this money to address the poverty that's causing such violence on our streets. We wanna make college and workforce training more affordable. We want to provide aid to small businesses, especially those businesses owned by black people and women and those businesses in rural Pennsylvania, the small businesses. We want to give Pennsylvanians affordable housing. We want to help them repair their homes. Uh, Y'all, I have a friend in Blair County whose home exploded last year because that's what we see across the Commonwealth when we don't invest in our homes. I have uh, friends who, who are dealing with, like we heard from the previous guests, the effects of fracking. We can invest in environmental sustainability. We can allocate funds to carry out, finally, fair, secure, and accessible elections. I heard you touch on the January 6th piece there. So, so I think that this is a part of it as well. It's all tied in together. It starts with the budget. It ends with the budget. We've got $15 billion. And all I'm saying is if we spend two, $2 billion on the, on the stuff we need, we will come a long way towards fixing the problems in Pennsylvania. And we still have $13 billion surplus to deal with next year. Yeah, wow, that, that that's a lot to take in. How do how do we get here? How did you know the state end up with so uh, much uh, more funds than I think anyone could imagine? You know, is it was it the pandemic or what? What has created this scenario? So the pandemic laid the groundwork. Um, we received a, a bunch of money, federal money, from both President Trump and President Biden uh, within Pennsylvania in order for us to address the issues that were caused by the pandemic, which allowed us the opportunity to, to ideally address the inequities that we saw before the pandemic as well. But Pennsylvania has recovered much faster than anyone expected. We've had an extremely quick, uh, quick recovery, and this is nationwide, 
And as a result, we've been collecting higher tax revenues than we expected. It's been crazy on my end because you know I come from a background of working criminal justice reform uh, and anti-poverty stuff, but I'm watching the budget numbers and the projected surplus grow since January. And every month they're like, oh, we have another $2 billion. Every month we have another $3 billion. And now we're sitting at this grand total of 15. It is, it is as a result of a couple of different things. We've done a really excellent job of recovering from the pandemic in this Commonwealth, but we've also been able to, uh, you know, utilize or, or receive this federal monies from, um, from the, from the government as well. And now it's just time to spend it. We can't just let it sit in the bank. We certainly can't uh, let it sit in the bank long enough for us to give it to corporations and rich people. Yeah. And also a part of, you know, there's been a conversation about a fear that the budget is being held in limbo until like after November um, because people want that billion dollars to spend, you know, they want to earmark it themselves in January. And so what is some of the, the talking points that you're using now to try to encourage a more, you know, uh, a proactive legislature to say, you know what, we need this funding now because like you said, people's homes are falling apart. People are very desperate for support and, we, and we're seeing a lot of, of almost violence being attached to not having these resources. So is there any type of messaging that's really reaching and resonating with people to kind of come together and have this people's budget? Yeah, I mean, I think I said a piece of it earlier on. These are issues that stretch from Mifflin County to Philadelphia County, from Butler County to Lackawanna County, from Allegheny County to Erie County. They touch every part of Pennsylvania. And for those of you who don't know who are watching this show, a lot of where the direction in which the budget goes relies on the majority party in Harrisburg. Okay, And so our messaging that seems to touch people and make sense is that we need to look at the majority party, the Republicans, look at their districts. Look at my friend in Blair County who lost his home because his, he couldn't afford to to uh, keep his home upkeep. You know, look at the folks in Mifflin County, which is one of the poorest counties in the Commonwealth, whose children are going to underfunded schools. Look at the folks who are suffering from meth and heroin addiction in Butler County. Look at the folks who are dealing with with uh, you know fracking in Washington County and the struggle that they're dealing with. This is not a, an issue that affects just a small portion of Pennsylvania. It's not an issue that affects people who look like us alone. It affects people who, who come from a wide range of backgrounds. And if we really want to help folks, we need help folks now. The idea that, that, that there are some legislators who would want to sit on this money for political reasons needs to be spread far and wide. Let's let folks know what these people are doing. It's one thing I've learned working in state level politics, especially dealing with some of the folks uh, who are working in Harrisburg, is that a lot of people have no idea what happens in that building. And they don't know what's happening until it trickles down eventually to their to to affect them in their daily lives, and then they are often led to blame the wrong people. Okay, what we need to do is let people know who's doing what, who's holding this budget hostage, uh, or hold. I shouldn't say the budget. Who's holding the fifteen billion dollars hostage? Who's hoarding this money? And so that we can then address them directly. I think I saw the call to action come out earlier, uh, and we will be having more calls to action throughout the rest of the month contact your local legislator, let them know that you want them to pass a people's budget. If you're in Harrisburg, come join us tomorrow at 1130 on the Capitol steps. Yeah, thank you for that. And just to, um, you know, to add a little bit more, more context, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, a number of, you know, areas around the state that obviously don't get the same coverage as Allegheny and Philadelphia counties do, uh, you know, when it comes to challenges that, you know, communities face and, you know, you know, before, you know, I joined the, the, the One Hood family, you know, I was with an organization called the Blue Green Alliance and spent a lot of time in rural Pennsylvania, um, you know, particularly in the southwestern corner, you know, once you go south of Pittsburgh and, you know, Fayette County, uh, Washington County and, and, and places like that. And, you know, and spending time in Fayette County, one thing that struck me and, 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 you know, someone who spends time in similar counties in the west central part of the state. Um, you know, one thing that really struck me was, you know, how much it reminded me, you know, uh, of the places that I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, you know, I'm from the North side, you know, obviously spent a lot of time in the East side, South side, different parts of the city, but, you know, I grew up on the North side and I, and it really, you know, I was down in Mason town one time, you know, where the, uh, where the old power plant shut down not too long ago. Um, and, you know, and it's definitely, it's a rural area, you know, um, but 
it reminded me a lot of the neighborhood I grew up in as far as like the lack of resources and, and the challenges and just looking at the people as they were walking up and down the street. You know, it just reminded me of, you know, and, and I felt like, wow, like there's really a link here that we may be missing, you know, when we're kind of pitting the city against the rural areas, like there's these two, you know, uh, places that are diametrically opposed and, you know, I, and, that, and you would see a lot of the same challenges. You know, is that is that something that you see, um, you know, in the in the West Central, you know, part of the state, you know, as well? And how do you think that we can, you know, kind of bridge that 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 gap? You know, because I think that also plays into the divisiveness of the politics, um, you know, as well as we're, we're actually very similar challenges um, that that folks are dealing with. Whether, like you say, you're in Blair County, you're in Allegheny, you're in Philadelphia, Erie, you're Fayette. You know, once you kind of just kind of block out the fact that you're not in Philly or you're not in Pittsburgh, you might think that you might just turn the corner and you're back in North Philly, you know, where you're, you know, in, in a part of Pittsburgh or somewhere. Yeah. I mean, look, we all want great homes. We all want quality childcare. We all want, we all want equitably funded schools. We all want to be able to afford higher education, whether that's college or a trade school or, or whatever works for you. We all want secured fair elections. We have to get past this culture war uh, uh, mentality that is happening right now and realize that we are all people and we are all people just want the best. You know, I am a firm believer that at heart, a lot of, a lot of folks are good. Um, some of my friends have called me a countryfied city boy and some of my friends have called me a city-fied country boy. I live in central Pennsylvania, but I lived in Philly. I've lived in projects uh, around the country and I've lived in trailer parks. We deal with the same issues and the way in which we kind of can bridge these, these gaps is to bring people together, you know, let folks who are from Northeastern Pennsylvania, meet folks from Southwestern Pennsylvania and understand that there are similarities there. Let folks from Southeastern Pennsylvania similarly meet folks from Northwestern PA. Let's bring people together. And so that we are all one people, we are all Pennsylvanians. And that's in fact, the goal of the, we, the people of Pennsylvania campaign. There are other campaigns. I think I'll say this real quick. That, that either other people or other groups that use we the people in their names, but you'll look and you'll see that those folks are very regional. You know, they're, they're only concerned with the issues of a certain group of people or a certain type of people. We have a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-geographical coalition that we have brought together of folks who realize that these are issues that affect all of us. And so as long as we can continue to spread the word and share the, and share the, uh, the knowledge and the resources, then we can continue to bridge this gap We've got a ways to go, but I think that we're on our way. Yeah, thank you so much for that. You know, I think it's good to have that positive messaging because, you know, a lot of times people get bogged down in the negativity of politics. And, you know, especially now during these these budget, these budget hearings, this is when like all the claws come out. So I really appreciate, you know, this positive um, you know, universal messaging. Um, and as you look forward to tomorrow. What are some of the next steps that you have for we the people? And then how can people get involved in supporting the rally? So the rally is just a start of a, of a kickoff of a number of, of uh, events that we'll likely be doing over the course of the next, well, the next two weeks or so. Just a reminder, the budget is uh, constitutionally, uh, Pennsylvania constitutionally mandated to be passed, balanced by June 30th. Uh, and, and what we're hearing right now is that they're, the negotiations are just starting up. Uh, as you said at the top of the hour, we are just now entering the heart of budget season. And so we will continue to pay attention to this. We will have calls to action out. We should urge our legislators to not uh, not give in to this, this desire to cut corporate taxation without uh, ensuring that that money stays in Pennsylvania. We should continue to fight to... Uh, to get equitable school funding and we should fight for, for uh, fair and secure elections as well, et cetera. So just keep an eye on the, we, the people of Pennsylvania Facebook page. Uh, I don't think I sent it earlier. So I dropped it in chat just now. Keep an eye on our uh, sign up for our mailing list on our website, which is we, the people, PA.org. Uh, and we will be sending out calls to action. If you can't join us for the budget rally, we'll be live streaming it on our Facebook page. Look at the here, a number of organizations joining us, including CASA, Make the Road, All Voting is Local. Uh, we've got a representative from the Philly DA's office, as well as a number of legislators who will be joining us uh, in, in, uh, in order to talk about their goals and their hopes for the budget. 
stay involved in the process. Don't sleep, Pennsylvania. We really have an opportunity here to do something we will only see once in our lifetimes. And so stay tuned. We'll have a lot more coming up. Perfect. And on that note, thank you so much, uh, Nick. Uh, you know, is representing the Pennsylvania uh, Budget and Policy Center. It'll be the people. It's going to have a great rally tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. And so, like always, you know, we're bringing you information that you can really use and apply to, like, your daily life. It's a lot of information. Budgets are one of the most important documents but also one of the most cumbersome documents to go through and read over. So I'm really grateful people like Nick and we, the people who really spend so much time and energy looking at these uh, uh, documents and putting together a people's budget that can really radically change the way our lives are and could have an immediate impact to improve people's lives. So we're very thankful for the guests. And with that, um, to turn it over to wrap and just talk a little bit about some things happening this Juneteenth weekend. Juneteenth. We'll turn it over to our political director, Kari Mosley. Yes. And um, this uh, Saturday, uh, One Hood will be in the house at PNC Park. Um, for a, a really uh, incredible event. Uh, there'll be a, a portion of the event will happen, uh, you know, prior to the game, uh, but it's going to be showcasing, you know, artists uh, from around the region um, and, and really continuing, you know, our partnerships, uh, you know, with the local community. Um, you know, we've, um, you know, been able, uh, you know, to build a, a, a the one, on the One Hood Media side, build a great partnership. Uh, you know, with the Pittsburgh Pirates and really looking forward, um, you know, to an incredible, incredible uh, event this Saturday. Mirva, do you have any, anything else you want to add about, about the event coming up on Saturday? Yes, it's also Juneteenth is right before Father's Day weekend. I mean, we're Father's Day. Um, so in addition, at the Juneteenth, we'll have a photographer there who will be taking photos with, you know, the papas and the kitties. You know, so if you're a father, you're going to bring your child, your children down. You can get some photos taken with like you and your babies young ones, teens, you know, your children um, at our Juneteenth event. Meet some really cool artists register to vote you know voting is important um there's a lot of events happening also you know project matters is um hosting a ball um that week that even that evening um byE you know black young and educated they are hosting a pop-up on Sunday the 19th there is a Juneteenth um, event really all over um, in Braddock um, in the Mon Valley. Um, and so there's a lot of things that you can do this weekend to get out and to celebrate, you know, the end of chattel slavery, but also uplift the changes and strides that we are still um, making for equity and equality um, this weekend. So also, because it's on a Sunday, a reminder that it for those places that um, have adopted Juneteenth, it will be also observed on Monday. So when I'm Places and businesses may be closed on uh, Monday, the day after Juneteenth. Um, but please make sure you come out. It's going to be a great weekend. You know, you can still wear your mask. We'll be outside. Um, it's just a great weekend to celebrate uh, freedom um, and the hopes of the future. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Kahari to take us out. Yeah, we want to um, definitely thank Robin and Nick uh, for joining us and, and giving us really uh, important information about what's happening with the county parks and what's happening with the state budget process. Uh, you know, there's tons of links in the comments section you can check out, um, you know, get up to speed on everything around uh, the Protect Our Parks campaign, as well as the We The People campaign. Uh, you know, the Protect Our Parks is a campaign that's at the county level and the We The People campaign is at the state level. And, you know, for those um, who will be in the Harrisburg area or the folks in Western Pennsylvania that will be heading up you know, to, to Harrisburg. Um, um, so really, really, uh, you know, rubbing shoulders with a lot of good folks from around the state. Um, and, you know, I think um, it's really going to be beginning of a really unique process, um, you know, knowing, you know, how, how much, you know, resources uh, the state government has, you know, as we move in, into uh, this very uh, important, um, uh, negotiation process, you know, and, and I'm someone who, you know, has never 
you know, served in the state house. But those, you know, who know me know that uh, that uh, that that my my spouse is a former state legislator, and um, you know, I definitely uh, as 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 a spouse of a, a of a former legislator, I'm very very in tune, you know, with this time of the year, and I'm actually uh, um, strangely enough. Uh, you know, to, to actually right after this, I'm headed to a, a small little family gathering to celebrate uh, my son's 13th birthday, which will be tomorrow. And um, 13 years ago, right around this time, you know, was the longest impasse in state history. I actually spent much of that summer um, in Harrisburg with newborn Thaddeus at that time um, in, in a hotel, um, as, as, as my wife did, the people's work with you know, her 202 other colleagues um, as they basically spent the entire summer in Harrisburg, you know, um, trying to hammer out um, a legis, uh, you know, uh, hammer out, um, you know, uh, a solution, you know, to that impasse. Uh, you know, Governor Rendell was, was still in office at that time. And, you know, sometimes it seems like it's just yesterday, but, um, you know, now 13 years later, um, I would say Thaddeus was about maybe about 10 days old when we, um, when we headed to Harrisburg to kind of bunker down and 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 spend most of uh, the the summer there, as that long long impasse um, you know played out, so um, very very familiar you know with that process, and hopefully you know this year will not you know be a replay of, of, of two thousand nine because that was a very very tough uh, tough time, and obviously for us we you know we had a newborn child and you know. Um, you know, in Harrisburg, but, uh, yeah, definitely. I definitely remember, definitely remember those days. Well, thank you so much. Y'all enjoy the week and hopefully we'll see you on Saturday. Take care.